the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 401. I'm Paul Spain. With me today we have Craig Young from Two Ants. Welcome along, Craig. Kia ora, Paul. 401. That's quite quite an achievement. Making me feel old. Yes. <laughs> It's not how many years old I am. No, I know, but it's well done. <laughs> uh, thank you. And uh, Colin Brown from Spark, your first time on the show. Thank it you is. for coming in. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Now, Craig, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big, wide world of technology and telecommunications in New Zealand and what TUANS uh, stands for. It's nothing to do with TUIs, is it? It's nothing to do with TUIs, no. Traditionally, it's about telecommunications, but fast, it's rapidly developing into anything digital technology really because what's a telco and what's telecommunications these days but just a way to connect and and do something isn't it so we're the uh, independent user association that represents anybody that uses digital technology and so uh, I'm the CEO so I presume I'm the leader and I'm allowed to speak on its behalf. That's good we'll look forward to hearing what you have to say on on behalf of all of us uh, telecommunications users Craig. Me too. And Colin. How about you? Where do you where do you fit into this this big wide world? Other yeah. than being within Spark, which is a you know a, a behemoth, um, so where, where do you fit? Yeah, look, like up until probably about two months ago, I was the general manager of networks for Spark. Um, but with our shift to uh, Agile, I'm now the tribe lead for network evolution. So effectively, looking at the life cycle management of um, of our of our past, um, dealing with the current capacity demands of today, and then starting to plan um, for what, what we need to do to build for the future. So, um, yeah, but been involved with uh, Spark slash Telecom for well, probably about 14, 15 years now. I always can uh, benchmark it against the age of my daughter because it's, she was born when I was uh, when I first joined Spark and and uh, been involved with everything um, involved with Spark from probably the last eight years, networks, but prior to that, everything from CRM to billing to provisioning so I've had a pretty good look under the covers I could say. Oh that's great good well we look forward to definitely diving in and and hearing uh, more particularly down the 5G track because of uh, the announcement from uh, from Spark this week but there's a bunch of other things to talk about now first up uh, Magic Leap are are in the news and had uh, had a bit, a bit of coverage around uh, you know ver- various uh, media over the over the last few days and of course, Magic Leap have, have uh, for a, a, a long part of their uh, their their life, and it's not as though they're a, a company that's been around for decades or anything. Um, but they've been uh, covered in in mystery and intrigue. What is Magic Leap all all about? And uh, you know, I guess you know we've seen uh, competitive uh, products uh, com- coming through in this in this world of uh, mixed reality. Or you know, I guess there's there's a, there's a few terms that tend to uh, uh, to describe sort of augmented reality, mi- mixed reality, and virtual reality. Um, but uh, now they're they're at this point where you know developers and uh, and enthusiasts can actually uh, go ahead and and order. Uh, their Magic Leap One um, goggles, and um, the the write-ups on them have been a little, a little bit uh, a little bit mixed. Yeah, well, that, as you said, they've been a bit of a quiet horse. You know, we haven't seen anything out of them. And, and I must say, when you look at the headset, it's a very retro-looking device. It makes me think of Guardians of the Galaxy almost the way it looks. But um, 
you know, it's doing something quite different. It's not HoloLens, so I don't know if people have used Microsoft HoloLens, but that's certainly um, augmented reality. Um, but it's doing something quite different. And um, I'll be interested to see, you know, once people actually start playing. I mean, it's very expensive. I mean, it's about two and a half thousand two and US and a half dollars, US, I think. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah, so it's really only there for application developers at the moment. Um, but I'm not sure if you looked into it. So, for example, it's projecting a, a picture onto the re- onto your retina of your eye directly rather than being a screen in front of you. So that's quite different. And they reckon they can do some quite unique things that way. And I think the other one that I, that I read about that I thought was really interesting, if you've ever used HoloLens, when you look through the, the lens at something that's being projected and you move with it, it doesn't take into consideration um, the environment that it's in, but the HoloLens, uh, sorry, the Magic Leap, the processing capacity and capability, it actually takes into consideration. So if you're watching a penguin walk across your coffee table, when it gets to the edge, it falls off. Whereas under some of the others, it just keeps going. So right, you know, right. that's that's a really interesting you know use of that technology. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think it's quite exciting. Um, I, I think um, I was actually having a, a, a conversation with us with my um, son's school the other day. I was doing a presentation around the evolution of history, and I was talking about how um, certain things disrupt. Um, and I talked about, um, for example, when the motor car came along, it sort of really disrupted the blacksmith industry. And so, you know, another big disruption is uh, electric cars and what's that's going to do to the to service stations. And I and I thought, well, how am I going to appeal to a bunch of seven hundred um, sort of adolescent boys? And I said, well, what do you think augmented reality is going to do to your PlayStation or your Xbox? And I think it was quite interesting to sort of see the fact that actually this this sudden shift in terms of augmented reality. Um, is you know the beginning of I guess that disruption to the traditional ways of actually how we consume some of those entertainment services. And look, it's probably a bit clunky and a bit awkward now. But you know, if you think about when uh, computer-generated graphics came along, I keep thinking of the Dire Straits. I'm showing my age here, but that Dire Straits Money for Nothing video around the clunky people walking around and robots, and we all thought that was cool back in the 80s. You look at it now, and you look at you know Lord of the Rings and some of the CGI movies now that you can't really discern the difference between real life and, and what's CGI. It's the beginning of, I guess, the, the future. So you know, for, it, it might be clunky now, but I think it's the beginning. Mm. So you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, and the, the miniaturisation you know, aspect of, of course, you know, we're, we're kind of used to technology shrinking and shrinking, and... Uh, you know the the gadgets, and we'll we'll talk about uh, you know a couple of newer newer phones uh, during the show. But you know when when you look at the amount of technology that you can squeeze into your pocket now, and and how far superior it is to any technology you had on on your desk, you know not very many years ago, um, we can we can expect some you know really really good uh, leap leap forwards. Whether it's a a magic leap, I'm not sure. But, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not um, but, done. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it's go, it's going to progress, and uh, you know, at the moment, it seems you know the the goggles. I quite like the uh, the fact that they're not something big and heavy on on your head, like uh, Microsoft's approach with a hollow lens, and there's just sort of something that you can you know clip onto your your belt, put in your pocket, what have you that that does the the processing. Actually, I don't know if you can put it in your pocket; it might get a bit hot for that. But um, you know, they've taken a slightly different approach there, which. Again, it's it's not perfect. It's a it's a bit clunky, 
Um, but having a bit of competition in this space, we're we're just seeing some different different approaches from uh, from different vendors, and yeah, give it give it a few years. Uh, I'm I'm very curious where where it could land, and the three of us are all wearing glasses, so you know it would be a reasonably easy uh, transition if this technology can really uh, really shrink shrink down uh, potentially to uh, to be wearing this without too much drama. For those that you know don't already wear something, then um, yeah, that I guess that's a, a, a small a small leap, a small uh, you know. Yeah, talking about us having for, glasses, for people, if we we're going to if we were going to wear them as yeah. you're out and about and so on. There was one little piece that I noticed around the headset suggesting that in a future um, they would actually be able to put prescription lenses into the headset. So they're obviously thinking down that track already. I think for me it's going to be, it's also interesting watching whether they can actually foot it with the big boys because, you know, we've seen some headsets come and go already in the marketplace and while Google and Apple sometimes tend to be slow starters, they do catch up reasonably quickly. So we, you know, we'll just watch and see. Mm. You know, they might get bought at some point by somebody. Yeah. Well, and Google have have. Uh, and I'm not sure of what the what the breakdown is in terms of investment, but I think you know Google's one of the investors, aren't they? So uh, or Alpha, Alphabet. So uh, yeah, there's a, a, f- a few years probably to go under the bridge before this technology. You know, maybe gets to a point where where it is, uh, you know, really exciting for for a lot of people. Uh, I think sometimes we we expect these new technologies to to come through very quickly. I still haven't landed on whether this is going to be a real mainstream technology that that everyone uses. I think there's you know there's discussion around well, you know, won't be won't be too far away, and you know, smartphones won't be a relevant thing to us because we'll be on to the next thing and. Uh, you know, I think virtual reality and, and uh, um, AR have have uh, you know been really talked up, but we just haven't kind of got to a place yet where where it's really exciting, and it's 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 kind of hard to know. Well, will we will we hit that point in time where this is relevant to everyone? We, we've never predicted that in the past. Though. I mean, who would have thought streaming services, um, Spotify, really? You know, look look t- took a long time for you know Apple to displace CDs, and now look at mm. how quickly Spotify displaced Apple. You know, look at um, Netflix streaming services now. I think the reality of things that it, it, it starts off slow. I mean, if you think about streaming services and sharing services, it probably goes back to the Napster days, right? You know. Involve sharing. It took a long time for the business model to be well approved. I guess is probably yeah. the right way of yeah. saying that. But you know, I think I think the key thing is is actually is you know the fact that that people have have imagined it and now are doing it. And I think it sort of talks to the fact that at some point you know there will hit an adoption inflection curve. And I think that's one of the things that we you know one of the things that we have to look for planning networks in the future is actually when does that inflection curve kick in and how do we actually make sure we, we, we can we can build for it really and I think that's that you know I was quite excited to read that sort of stuff it's really interesting yeah. mm-hmm. it must be a bit tricky in in your line of business trying to work that out though because remember when 3d glasses were the latest and greatest for 3d TV and it was just going to be every TV you bought was a 3d TV and you had the glasses pretty sure I've still got some glasses in the cabinet next to the TV but haven't ever use them so can't be easy sometimes for you no I don't, I don't think so I think whatever we know we plan for we probably get it wrong and that's um that's kind of one of the the things that we need to get our heads around so I think you've got to actually build a, a, enough 
enough leeway to be flexible in the future. Um, but really, I think part of also what we build is the infrastructure rather than the end device, I think. And we just know that bandwidth is bandwidth, and so to some extent you've got to build it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, my personal view is, is I think, um, and we'll link into this a little bit later on 5G, but at some point there'll be an inflection curve with augmented reality and virtual reality that will really drive that demand. You know, it, 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 it's the, you know, it's the thing that I think if you get guided by the things that really excite the, my children, for example, and my son, for example, he, he saves for the day. He's already saving now for a VR headset that the day that it will come. And I think if there's any indication around the future, you look to actually the, the people coming through and it's just a natural it's a natural attrition. So I, I think VR and augmented reality will be the killer use case that actually really changes us going forward, just like streaming was for the way we consume video and, and um, music. Right. So if we were, if we were to look, I don't know, if, say, 10 years out, can you imagine something that's kind of that, that Google Glass type form factor which is you know is is basically pretty pretty light um not much not much to it uh but you know connected to 5g networks and and doing you know more than everything you would do with your smartphone today is that I don't, would you, would you I, imagine I that it, type of scenario think, do you think we we'll, we'll still have quite a mix of i think of i think what you'll see is more I think as as services evolve, you'll see more customization of services to specific requirements. So you might see augmented reality, Google Glasses doing things like navigation and weather and shopping through to deep immersive experiences for sporting and and, um, concerts, you know, um, to immersive sort of interactive experiences for health and safety um, uh, training or dangerous sort of training you know imagine sort of doing oil rig training for people in a, in a VR sort of context or flight simulation or those things things so and I think what we'll probably see is a f- future world of mass customization and so there will be a, a scale of services to, uh, um, to to dealing what you deal with but you know we talked a little bit about this um, at one of our leadership conferences recently within Spark about the, the concept of somebody wearing uh, augmented reality glasses as they're watching sport and then be able to click on a button and seeing the replay or the statistics of that player and, and that kind of granular view of services going forward. So, yeah, little arrows pointing to the players, letting you know, yeah. you know how much energy they've consumed or you know what their average... You know, yeah. stats are and all yeah. sorts of bits, and, bits Poss- and pieces. Possibly even biometrics on the IoT devices that are actually no, on right. this stuff. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, I think the the the, the opportunity is is there, and I think yeah. there will be a point in time. But I don't know if it's a one size fits all anymore. And I think you'll see this more and more as that mass customization um, of services. And I think experiences will actually change through the course of time with that. It's um, um, and, and that's why I think this is a this is a starting point. I think you agree there will be a point of mass adoption. I don't yep. think anybody's really nailed VR. I think the haptic response or haptic response rate's still too clunky for people to really feel that you can watch it for longer than ten minutes without feeling motion sickness. And but at some point that will come. And I think at some point you know you'll see the the, the, the adoption curve kick in, and that's when we'll we'll you know be scrambling and sit around and remember the days when we used to watch things on TVs, you know. Mm, mm. Well, I'm, uh, I'm certainly, I'm very curious about, you know, how good this technology will get and, yeah, how, uh, how, how it will progress and, yeah, the, the, the idea of, of having something that uh, isn't dramatically different from uh, normal glasses where you could get that sort of augmentation, you, certainly your mind can wander into 
uh, all sorts of use cases of, of how practical that yep. might be. And uh, I'm certainly uh, interested in Craig's penguins marching across the desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more about an Auckland for your glasses telling you where the next car park is. Where you can park your car. Yeah. Oh, I actually thought you would have wanted um, glasses showing movies for the Auckland traffic. Yeah, well, it could be. Yeah, just sit there <laughs> while when you're in your autonomous vehicle, it's driving itself. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Sort of, you know, talking about these things that we don't have, but actually, that knowing that uh, you know a lot of this technology will will come and uh, might not be too far off. Now, a lot of the time, it's the technology exists. It's just got to find the use, the right use case to, as you say, the inflection point to. Send it over the over the edge where it just suddenly starts to get mass um, uptake, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, you look at these being what two and a half thousand US at, at the moment, and you know, you you can just imagine there will be a point in time where maybe it's a hundred hundred US dollars to uh, to produce this type of of, of product. Um, you know, it will be a, an absolute fraction of, of whatever the current price well, is. Remember the is days on. of the big laser discs, you know, when before oh, DVDs yes. came out and Blu-ray came out, there were big LP type laser discs that came out to watch movies, and they were really they were horrendously expensive and not mess uptake. But they were the precursor to, I guess, the the refinement of the end result that everybody started to move towards DVD and Blu-ray. So mm. you know, mm. a, a, it, it's interesting to watch. It probably won't turn up like. Like you know, um, like Magic Leap does, but you know, it would be a variant of. So yeah. yeah. Um, now we had an announcement uh, through from Spark today that we're going to be getting, and and I guess this is something we expected, but um, more sports streaming from uh, Spark. And this particular announcement is that uh, Spark have secured uh, exclusive broadcast rights to the English Premier League uh, football. And Manchester United TV. Now, yeah, I guess it, there's nothing sort of too mind blowing in that because the you know, Sky haven't had English Premier League since something like 2012. It's you know it's been quite a quite a number of uh, of of years. And you know, of course, uh, Spark had uh, some involvement with, uh, with with Coliseum in terms mm-hmm. of uh, partnership there when when Coliseum uh, had those, those rights. But it certainly sparked some interesting uh, discussions <laughs> today. And I, you know, I was chatting with uh, Jesse Mulligan on uh, uh, RNZ this afternoon around it, and it just seems every time there's a, l- a little bit of a, an announcement, some different news in, re- in regards to where. Uh, live sport is 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 moving. Uh, that it 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 puts another. Um, it feels like it's a another uh, nail that's uh, hitting it hitting a coffin for uh, for Sky. And look, we've got Sky on the show in I think a couple of weeks. So uh, you know, I'm looking forward to hear you know hearing some of their perspectives. And when I talk to individual people within Sky, I'm, I'm always you know hearing really interesting things we just haven't kind of uh you know seen them sort of deliver something that's you know really uh, uh exciting people but although i guess it, you know it's fair to say that a lot of people aren't too excited about um uh seeing their sports sort of splintered up and and going through uh ver- you know various services and then uh we've got sort of amazon looming in the background and and no one knows what their mo- their role might be uh as far as sport in the in the future um 
either. So, um, you know, it's very, uh, very, very interesting times as we sort of go from this uh, transition where, where, you know, Sky had huge, huge uh, dominance, and they still uh, do to a, to a very uh, large degree, to a world where, um, you know, things will probably be a little bit more sort of, uh, you know, pick and mix, choose, uh, you know what sports you want and uh, and so on and you you know maybe pay for those individual things and uh, they might come through a range of channels but uh, the idea of uh, the satellite uh, distribution being the primary one will uh, you know will will certainly continue to fade I think yeah well quite personally I couldn't give two tosses about Manchester United TV but uh, <laughs> my youngest son will be very excited about that given he is a Spark customer himself um, but I think this is a Another move in the right direction for competition in the delivery of content. You know, if I if I boil it down to that from a user perspective, it's really going to come down to the price point that Spark offer the service at. So you know, if you look at Netflix, um, you know, twelve dollars a month and all you can eat is obviously a really good price point for users because of the uptake you've seen, and they're smart too. You know, I got a new TV. People will. Sure, I've had this experience. You get a new TV, a new 4K TV. You log into Netflix, and Netflix goes, I see you bought a new TV for an extra $2 a month. You can get high definition. And, of course, you go, yes. So, I mean, it's a bit the same with this. If Spark hit the right price point for EPL, then you won't mind buying two or three different services. It's when we were paying, you know, 100 and something dollars just because you could watch a few rugby games and, and a little bit of football and and maybe the league if you really wanted to, um, yeah. And I think I think the other thing with the that I'm going to be watching how it plays out is that the EPL because of the time of day that it plays in the UK live, there'll be a lot more in New Zealand, a lot more on demand requests rather than watching it live. So that means that the platform has to deal with multiple streams at different timings. So, you know, that's another test, I think, for for Spark and whatever platform they choose. I think it's probably easier from a network perspective to... For people to be coming in at, at slightly different times, I would think than uh, than I mean we've we've it's mostly when everyone's watching live that things have, have fallen over. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, Colin. Look, um, I think planning for um, for mass common events are, are always probably the the worst case scenario in terms of actually trying to deal with it. So um, a, a distributed um, a download is actually probably a lot better than a mass download. But you know you can still deal with that through the forms of caching and 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 the way that you can actually get. A bunch of technical stuff in your network to work in and around that, but I think sports is sports has probably been the last holy grail of, of disruption around um, around distribution. I mean, I think movies, Netflix is a good example, music, Spotify is another good example, and I think you know I think the opportunity to, to bring competition in, and this is what Spark's really excited about is the opportunity to actually bring competition in around sports distribution is, is quite key, and and I think it goes back to that point we're talking about is that customization, that mass customization is. Do you need to buy one full subscription to buy, you know, for the things that you want to deal with? And and um, you know, it's the, the EPL is you know probably one of the most passionately followed sort of sports in the world, if not the most passionate followed sports in the world. And it's a it's it's you know the the partnership with Coliseum worked really well and gave us some really good insights in and around that. We kind of um, through Coliseum lost they lost the rights and we you know that for the partnership can continue. We're super excited to be back in the in the game again to use the pun. Yeah, I think I'll make a prediction. Liverpool are going to win this year, but um, 
showing my true colours. <laughs> the um, the reason why we two ends is not so. Um, what's the right word? We we were not in favour of the Sky Vodafone merger because all four major ball sports were going to end up in the one telco. Now we're seeing it break up a little bit. So even the rugby, so you might you might back that merger now. Uh, well, it depends on what happens with the rugby. Yeah, maybe it's getting it's getting closer to you know, perhaps perhaps. But um, certainly, it's not all going to end up in one place. So, I, and I think that's a good move. I mean, I think telcos are moving beyond being telecommunications providers, right? They're they're pr- providing a service. The convergence between broadcast and telco and networks is is happening, of you know, right in front of our faces. So um, so I think, for example, the partnership between TVNZ and Spark on the Rugby World Cup, obviously they needed each other um, because Spark won't have their platform up for some of the uh, tournaments that are happening at the moment. But I, I think we'll see more of that happen, where on they'll collaborate on certain things and then they'll compete on others. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, a few other factors that that, uh, that come into play. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned pricing. Uh, I saw there was a, a thread discussing this this topic on uh, on Geek Zone today, and it might have been uh, might have been Steve Biddle that uh, made a comment around the uh, the UK pricing with uh, with Now, uh, who is is that owned by uh, B Sky B? I can't remember the exact, uh, but Now Now TV, who you know they they sell a little Roku box and. You know, you've got uh, subscriptions. You can sign up to them for you know a mix of content, but uh, you know I think they have the English Premier League there, and it's it's something like 170 uh, pounds in in the UK for your you know sub subscription, which would work out for the uh, year for the year. So it'd be okay. work out about you know I guess you know 30 dollars a month if if it, you know was to land at a at a similar um, price here. And and one of the the discussion points that I that I often see come come up is well as this stuff gets sliced and diced up. Um, if you know if you watch a reasonable chunk of sport, you might find actually that it's going to cost you more going forward than than what it used to uh, in in the old days, right? So we we will see some some interesting uh, results from that perspective potentially over time. The other uh, the other thing that that's come to mind is you know if you, if you look at the uh, the distribution of content across Lightbox, Netflix, Amazon. And so on. In some cases, there's there's exclusive arrangements, but I don't think that's that's the case in every situation. So, I do wonder whether we might have a world at some point in the future where you could get your English Premier League through Spark, but maybe somebody else will uh, will offer it to you, and you don't have to fire up a VPN and do anything dodgy. But actually, that there will be two uh, mechanisms for for distribution. Yeah. You know, I can imagine maybe All Blacks or something like that. Um, you know, I, I could so. could I fall think, into that category at some and point. I think right? that's what the part of the exciting part about this is actually breaks the the, the monopolistic. I mean, you haven't said the word, but you know, the monopolistic mm. hold in sports within New Zealand. And I think through a wholesale distribution, um, you know, opportunity to actually buy these rights is actually really disrupting that, and that's fantastic. And I think the other thing you recognise now is not everybody watches TV the same. You know, I think people on the on the move. You know, people will be watching. You know, download your EPL game over the um, while you're watching it in the in the train or on the plane. Uh, I, I was fascinated. I was um, a couple of years ago. I was um, went to Fiji and um, was lucky enough to sort of jump on a water taxi when we landed. And there's somebody watching the Crusaders on their mobile phone in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. As we're sort of being water taxied from from Denarau out to the island, and um, and I was just fascinated the fact that you know is 
that's the way people now are starting to consume on the go. You know, the the more than one screen in a in a home is pretty much standard these days, and it's normally people watching sometimes two of those screens, but at least the opportunity to do that. And I think having multiple accesses through different devices actually in platforms gives a real good opportunity for customer choice, and, and that's a good thing, really. Well, because the other thing I, I, I think that is important is that Spark are clear that it's a you, you'll be able to buy the service whether or not you're a Spark customer. And that's certainly, I mean, if, if you had to be a Spark customer to get access, that's when it starts to get a bit tricky from our perspective. Now, obviously, I don't mind if there's promotions and, you know, you get a slightly cheaper deal if you're with Spark. But, you know, as long as you can actually get access to it and, you, and it doesn't dictate which broadband provider you take, that's a good move. Well, and look, the, the incentive there is to commercialise the model. So, yeah. I mean, there's no incentive to actually, you know, not create a, a commercial model around it with, with the amount that you pay for the for the rights. So it's certainly, um, would love you to be with Spark, but it's not the exclusive way. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious how that will, that will play out and, um, you know, some of our users will, uh, or li- li- some uh, listeners who maybe are using uh, internet providers other than Spark might sort of um, wonder how how it might work in terms of consistency for you know for them on their internet service provider versus Spark. So I think you know those, those sort of uh, technical aspects of uh, you know pairing and other you yeah, know, look, bit, bits and pieces will look, the, the, obviously be very important to make sure that yeah, people don't feel as though well we we really have to step you know step across to Spark to get the the best experience. Look, look most of it will be. Um, consumed off a platform or an app, right? And mm-hmm. so most apps, if it's actually if it's not live um, and it's downloadable, cache somewhere. So they'll actually store those servers somewhere. And so Spark and Vodafone and Two Degrees and all the and various ISPs will have these big boxes which store content, which is storing half of your YouTube traffic, half of your Facebook traffic, or your Netflix. It's, it's stored locally, and we generally share information between um, between uh, the each provider and in, in some instances. Um, through what we call peering exchanges or the ability to actually transfer information from one one network to another um, and there is no um, there's no incentive for us to um, for again to gain the best commercial return on the rights that we've got to actually do anything other than ensure that's a consistent experience for for all customers so you know a big part of both um, EPL but probably also rugby World Cup is is looking at how we're actually working with everybody to provide those peering um, uh, capacity expansions that we anticipate and in caching models in and around that so uh, you know I think I think um, there will be clearly sort of a, you know some opportunities um, through the product and the proposition to actually want to choose Spark, you know, yeah, just putting yeah, the Spark yeah. head on. But yeah, uh, yeah, sure. we're, we're not in any way incentivised um, to degrade the, the service for any other customer because it's just going to get, it's, it's just madness will count against us. And yeah. so, you know, yeah. we really I, do want to. Well, you know what's going to happen if, if, the, if the watching the final of the Rugby World Cup and it stops, they're not going to complain to their ISP. It's going to be there. It's going to be. Spark that they'll they'll know that Spark had it. I mean they'll ring their ISP because that's where they go first, but they'll still be blaming Spark. So I think the whole industry is quite mindful, and I certainly I've been in meetings where I've said um, from a user perspective that the industry needs to make sure they get this right because it could actually yeah otherwise it could turn custom yeah yeah well you know we certainly saw some um, some issues in uh, Australia oh, with yes, uh, yeah. uh, Optus recently and uh, and and trying to uh, stream sport. 
I don't yeah, think we should model ourselves in Australia for no. anything when it comes to digital communications. No. Personally. It's, no. it's great for learning what not to do, though, yeah. isn't it? So, uh, you know, we, we, we let them, uh, you know, um, do the own goals and, um, I don't know, the underarm bowlings and all those, all those sorts of things of, uh, of technology and uh, um, come out with uh, varying results. So, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, from that perspective, I guess ultimately you'll have to work quite closely with the other internet providers in the same way we see sort of Netflix yep. and YouTube sort of, you know, cache servers with, across internet providers. Are, yeah, that's the sort of thing yeah, you'll have those, to those work in. Those conversations have started and yeah. a lot of that, that stuff's happening. So, absolutely. And oh, I think that's great. We'll also, you know, for Rugby World Cup in particular, so as Craig mentioned, we've got the partnership with TVNZ. So, you know, um, and look, I think, I think. Creating more granular and and smaller price points, I think, creates sporting more accessible for a uh, mm. more number of people than in the community, and that's kind of a good thing for for mm. New Zealanders. So. Yeah, and mm. I can confirm that they're meeting with the rest of the industry because I've been invited to some of the meetings they're having. Just to, I don't know whether that's because they want an independent view eye to just see what's going on, but yeah, Spark is certainly talking to everybody. That's great. That's great. Now I'll do a completely ah. Oh. Australian subject, um, <laughs> so I don't, know, I don't know what light we reviewed this in after our uh, previ- previous comments, but uh, um, yeah, there's uh, there's been a bit of coverage of um, what Australia are doing in terms of dealing with encryption, and from a, a government perspective, they're uh, um, they've got legislation that uh, uh, they're working to uh, uh, maybe push into uh, into law. I think it's uh, it's being sort of debated. Uh, at at the moment, and uh, really, what uh, what we've heard is that uh, you know the government there want to try and uh, find ways to get around uh, encryption. Craig, you've you've had a, a few thoughts and, and insights in this. Can you uh, uh, describe sort of your your view on what's uh, what's happening there, and um, you know, whether it makes sense? Sure, it's a really interesting one because what's happening, I think, Australia in this scenario around national security and encryption and spying and all those sort of things is just a little bit more paranoid than perhaps we are. But And they've gone down the track of, if you're going to provide services in Australia, you need to be able to unencrypt it for our security services. And it's almost like taking a, a hammer to a nut, you know. So it's we're going to pass into law that uh, if you're a service provider, if you're a handset provider, your equipment provider, and you offer encryption services, where you know the encryption key, you have to be able to make it available to us. And so it's quite interesting because I think what they've tried to do is break, is have a way of breaking encryption, but they know that they can't do it completely. So for example, if you've got end-to-end com- encryption from your handset to the service that's offshore, then the law appears not to apply because it's the individual that has the encryption key, not the organisation. So it's definitely aimed at providers. So I'm I'm actually not sure what they're going to solve in the end. Um, They may think they're going to solve it, and maybe they don't quite understand, particularly where encryption has gone to now. Um, You know, there's all the the fuss in, in America where Apple refused to help break into one of the cell phones and I actually think it's because they don't necessarily know how to um, because of the encryption they've built and and I think you know apps like WhatsApp which has um, yes it's owned by Facebook but it's got um, it's got end-to-end encryption unless you know the key and the only 
handset that knows the key is the one that sent it, um, you won't be able to break it. So I, that's I'm right. Really what, not WhatsApp sure aren't in a, in a position, and you know there, there's a you know number of these. Uh, we have lots of mechanisms whereby uh, you know basically the provider, the manufacturer of the phone, etc., um, isn't actually in a in a position to. Uh, uh, to to get at that, unless you, I mean, there, are, I guess there are other other mechanisms. If something's been unencrypted and it's sitting in the memory of a yep. of a phone, um, but you know, then often that that's that's tied back with yep. uh, with some um, you know with with a key that relates to the to the user potentially, rather than it just being something that the the vendor could uh, could get at. So now I'm not I'm not completely aware of the Australian law, but certainly in New Zealand, we have interception laws which enable government security firms to um, intercept traffic in New Zealand or they have the ability to get a court order to be able to do that and I certainly know that when in you know, a previous life working for a network company when we were um, implementing new networks you had to build the ability to do it. We got caught on a very interesting one where if to build the service to provide a particular uh, speed for example and if you put an intercept on it that speed will drop, and yet you're not supposed to allow the end user any idea that it's been intercepted. So it's actually it's a really interesting little scenario to try and figure out how you develop those sorts of things. And, I mean, I have no sense of how common intercept is or who's listening into what, but you know, New Zealand is quite... There's a couple listening. of people listening in at the moment. Yeah, that's probably yeah. Right. So you guys better <laughs> you be careful what you say. feeling the speed going down? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, it's... Um, it is a really inter- interesting uh, area, and and you know, look, we we've, we've talked about this on a you know on the podcast. I guess you know every uh, little while, you know, something something comes up that's uh, that's relevant in these regards. And uh, look, at, you know, it's it's a challenging one because certainly, um, well, in the past and, and still today, there is you know a whole chunk of stuff that can easily be uh be monitored in terms of text messages and 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 calls when uh you know when it's appropriate and look we've had murders and all sorts of you know cases that have been solved because of that but look we're we're moving into a world where that just isn't going to be possible and uh, in most cases a bit of uh, government legislation isn't going to uh, uh, isn't going to help what's what's uh you know lo- locked down between uh, uh, you know, two parties um, isn't going to be op- able to be uh, op- opened up. So, um, yeah, we're going to have to find uh, other ways, and uh, I hope those other ways aren't too uh, aren't too scary. We we look at you know varying parts of the world where you know different sorts of dev- surveillance uh, you know technologies are are starting to come into play, and uh, quite frankly, some of that stuff looks pretty scary. Uh, to me, so I'm I'm not quite sure what the what the right answer is of no. of how uh, you know how how, how deep uh, you know governments should uh, uh, be allowed to be with these things uh, because we do need to have a a level of law enforcement, but um, you know there's um, uh, you know re- real challenges with with how you how you balance that. Yeah, yeah. Look, I actually think New Zealand's very very. Good and pragmatic in terms of getting its balance like, and I think to your point, Craig, I mean the interception stuff can't happen without a warrant and without really good cause, and and it's not like there's a 
bunch of people listening out there at the, on, on an everyday call. So just in case people are a little bit worried about that, there actually has to be you know a very you know very defined process in and around the interception. But yeah, I just I'm just wondering what the problem they're trying to solve, and it's like a whack-a-mole um, thing. You know, you crack one vector down in in, in terms of uh, encryption to actually address that, and some other mechanism will pop up. And I think you know the, these sorts of things are probably more around. Um, dealing with issues as they occur rather than trying to actually have legislation try and fix these things. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, um, mm. it's, it's a tricky one, this one, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, we, uh, we had some gadgets that we should, uh, we should talk about. Um, Samsung Galaxy Note 9 uh, was un- unveiled in New Zealand time, the early hours of uh, Friday morning. And um, I've been playing with it sort of on and off uh, in between. Just trying to find uh, where, where, where it is uh, at, at the moment. Um, okay, got my, got my hands on it. Um, look, we, we keep seeing all of these new gadgets that are, that are released. It's kind of hard to get, get your head around, right? What, what should I be buying? Um, the, the Note 9 has this big 6.4-inch screen. But last week we were talking uh, about the uh, um, the new Oppo uh, handset, which has got a six point three inch screen. Um, also, uh, what's just just launched as well. Uh, well, the Note Nine's not quite launched yet. It's been you know announced, but um, it's not. Uh, I think it's sort of you can pre-order it at the moment. But um, Huawei have launched their uh, Nova three uh, I. Um, so the um, the the Nova comes in at uh, what does it come in at four hundred and ninety nine dollars. You've got a you know a pretty low uh, price point, and then you've got uh, sort of sitting in the middle the uh, Oppo around nine hundred dollars, and then I think we're looking at um, uh, six sixteen hundred for the Note Nine as its uh, sort of starting price uh, in New Zealand, and then. I think it's nineteen hundred if you want the uh, the one with the the biggest storage. They've got a you know one with one hundred and twenty eight gigs in it, which is is fairly reasonable, and then one with uh, half a terabyte of included storage, and the option of putting a another um, uh, mem- or putting a memory micro SD card in there, which uh, um, they're just starting to become available at that half terabyte size. So uh, you know sort of a terabyte worth of storage sitting in your pocket screen with a you know really nice big uh big screen which is is very very slick um as we're kind of getting used to on the on the on the top end phones uh and then i guess the you know they've got a big battery which we've seen others do huawei have got these uh you know if you had a phone with a 4000 milliamp hour uh, uh battery before um, but so I think that's probably the first time we've seen that from uh, from Samsung, and then uh, you've got your your stylus, which is you know still pretty unique in in the market, and uh, and then they've uh, they've simplified their docking. If you want to turn it into kind of a, a bit of a you know PC in your pocket that you can plug into uh, screen, keyboard, and and mouse, uh, that happens just by just by plugging the cable straight into the phone, whereas. In the past, Samsung had had sort of insisted that you buy their little uh, dock to make that happen, um, and that that was an era where you know to to a degree uh, Huawei led led the way as well, and that you could just you know plug plug straight into uh, you know their latest phone straight into a, a you know USB C to HDMI and uh, and into into a monitor. 
Um, so yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a few um, things in, in the bow there. Up quite nicely, actually. Yeah. The way you describe it, and I think the actually depending depending on what you actually want to use it for. But you know, for for price point around the Samsung, um, you know, that is effectively a mobile office in your phone, right? And so therefore, I guess you, when you're buying, I guess your phone, you need to be thinking also about how you're going to use it and the packages you've got. So, you know, versus a mobile phone, which is probably cheaper and gives you the services you need and, and the way that you'd actually use it. Um, and, you know, we, we think um, the Samsung 9 is really quite well suited to the unlimited plan that we've actually got within Spark because the reality is is when you've got that much of storage data and mobile office in your, in your phone, then, then you're going to be using a fair chunk of data on it. And so it's a good opportunity to actually leverage that plan. Whereas I think the other devices are probably more like mobile phones, right, in terms of the smartphones and the way we traditionally actually think of them. And so I think there's an element of what are you going to use it for um, and make sure you pick not just the phone, but what are you actually going to use it for and how do you actually pick the right plan for it. So We won't debate whether an unlimited plan is really an unlimited <laughs> plan. But we could I spend think, a lot of time on yeah, that, we couldn't could. we, Craig? Yeah, we could. But I, I <laughs> we do take... an unlimited amount of time, I do take your point, you know, that... Um, they are getting to the point where they they are really starting to replace a variety of devices. I'm thinking, you know, I've got an iPhone 10, and you know that's nearly two grand for one of those. You can buy a really decent laptop for that price. So um, if you can spend sixteen hundred dollars on the Samsung and plug it into a screen, then you've got to be moving in the right direction. Um, now, sorry, slight correction: sixteen ninety nine is their is their base price, and nineteen ninety nine okay. for the, uh, the the higher end model. But yeah, look, you know, when this is a business tool that you're going to get, uh, you know, a year or, or two or three out of, depending on you know how you use these gadgets and uh, whether you drop it, you've got a good case on it, all those, those sorts of things. Um, you know, and and you're it's going to be helping you be more productive than. Uh, you know the the dollars and cents of of that can uh, can actually add up quite well. You know, I was I was thinking about what are the use cases for having one of these phones that you can plug into, you know, another uh, screen and maybe a, maybe keyboard and, and and mouse. And look for for me, I don't I can't sort of say well there's a, there's some specific scenarios because I usually would if I'm travelling bring a laptop, but. When I think about what do I use it for, there are, there are some things that I do that are probably you know um, less less common in terms of a bit of audio or video uh, production type uh, type stuff from time to time. Most of what I need to do, I can actually do on a phone without any sort of screen. Right, I can I can work in Microsoft uh, Office applications and Outlook and you know general bits and pieces on on a smartphone. Uh, yeah, it's not uh, it's not super productive on a on a little screen without a keyboard and mouse. Uh, so yeah, there's probably lots of scenarios. Whether it's that work from home, if you don't have a laptop or a, uh, a PC at home, where you ca- could actually just uh, you know hook straight into a monitor, have a keyboard and mouse, and uh, and away you go. And and maybe some travel scenarios. Yeah, and you, you think also about New Zealand being predominantly small medium businesses, right? And the money for them is actually being out on the road and actually seeing people, and and not in a traditional office environment. So I think there's an element where actually, you know, lugging out your laptop and bringing it out in front of a customer is not so great. But the ability to actually be capable to actually do that on the move, um, I think you see a lot of stuff um, with even um, uh, in the agricultural business, you know, going out and actually having um, the capability to actually use something on your de- on your device at the same point in time. Mm. You know, the amount of time I travel a fair chunk, the amount of time I'd spend in uh, in an airport 
um, lounge pulling out the phone or the, is is the way I do business half the time and and it's and it's not just business but it's also entertainment so I think I you know I do think thinking about how New Zealand actually turns up in, on a day-to-day basis we, we, we generally where we think about the big office box and we think about the workplace but actually the bulk of New Zealanders actually work in small medium businesses so mm. uh, I think that's quite an empowering tool for them to actually be on the go mm. and you know thinking thinking you know today the time that I've had uh, outside of the office you know sitting in a in a um, you know vehicle getting getting to a meeting and you know more and more you're often not driving for those sort yeah. of uh, you know short uh, uh, short trips, and suddenly that becomes productive time when you've got a, a an appropriate device uh, in your pocket that's you know generally you know linked up to a, a mobile network, and um, you know suddenly you you realise oh I can squeeze in an extra you know twenty minutes worth of productivity that I couldn't before because I'm sitting in an Uber or or another uh, vehicle uh, rather than driving yourself off to to a meeting. Having said that, though, I mean for sixteen ninety nine for the Note and two grand for the Apple. 10. I mean, if money is, if you are thinking about value for money, I mean, something like the Huawei Nova, I mean, at 499 it pretty much does just about the same as what you want um, if you just want a phone and that you can do some of that stuff on. So I think we, we're now at the point where um, some of us Apple geeks need to start looking around and seeing what else is out there because there is, there is some value for money really out there and you don't necessarily need to buy the most expensive piece of kit um, to get a really good um, piece, you know, really good um, tool that's going to meet most of your needs. Well, that, that Nova 3, I say, you know, it's a $500, uh, you know, phone. So, yeah, it's a fraction of the price. It's got a, you know, a, a similar size screen. It hasn't got the stylus. It doesn't have all of the, um, you know, all of the top-end uh, features, but you've actually... Still got a pretty capable, uh, you know, camera in there. I think it's got, uh, you know, six gigs of, of, of RAM. It's not, um, you know, it's not not quite up there. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a pretty capable uh, device, and the sort of you know bang for buck that we're seeing now enables, I guess, you know, smaller businesses to, uh, you know, put in the hands of of their, uh, their their team these sort of you know fleet phone type uh, devices. At a at a reasonable uh, price point, that are actually you know uh, three quarters of the way there to uh, you know to to what your your top dollar is yep. is going to give you, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, now there's uh, the other phone we're going to talk about, but I think we're out of time uh, on on uh, our phone uh, chit chatting is the uh, the Sony XZ2. So we might pick that one up uh, next week and uh, and and get into it. Um, I think my my wife was eyeing that up. Um, Selena was uh, looking at it because she's on a uh, a Sony Xperia XZ. Um, and look, I you know I like the Sony phones, but there's there's aspects to them where I have, think they they're maybe not moving quite as as fast as um, uh, some of the other players. So, um, but anyway, we'll come we'll come back to that because otherwise we're going to run out of time. And I'm very keen to. Uh, to dive in and hear a little bit about uh, what's happening in the Spark world as far as um, 5G. So, and and I guess that was probably why uh, why you came along today, is, Colin. Yes, so I'm sure everybody could, loves my opinions on um, everything else, including you know. um, my son's school. But um, the look, look, probably very topical with the Spark releasing its white paper to just talk a little bit about the industry, um, to particularly our analysts, but also a bit of an industry inform about what we think. Um, 5G is going to turn up 
to be like. And it's um, it's it's one of those things that's getting quite a lot of conversation at the moment. Um, and you know we're doing quite a lot of uh, thinking about it and planning uh, around five G. Um, and five G, at it, at its broad level, um, is the next evolution of mobile networks. But but it's not like three G evolved to four G where it's about speeds. Five G goes back to that that concept we were talking about a little bit earlier around that mass customization. Um, the, the, the three main um, performance characteristics of 5G is ultra-low latency and high reliability, so the one millisecond round-trip times. Um, the so mass- you're not, you're not going to see those um, I know, delays that we've seen seen in the, in the past with... Uh, you know, varying forms of telecommunications where there's been a you know a reasonable gap. These things. I mean, when you yeah, can so shrink the, it down so to, to one millisecond. Yeah, so if you, do, uh, if you did a ping, if you did an nuclear speed test now on your four G phone, you probably get somewhere between twenty five to fifty milliseconds around trip time frame. Um, and you, you know, five G standards and the standards always set as the as the upper limit. Um, uh, looking at one millisecond round trip time frames, but you know, you'll probably get those in the twos or three milliseconds. Um, the the second thing is, is massive massive um, connectivity, millions of devices, not just hundreds of devices, but millions of devices um, connecting to the um, to the network. So, with the Internet of Everything um, starting to, to to turn up. So we were talking before about when a container ship rocks into into the harbour, it's not just the containers that have SIMs in them to actually register on the network, but every box within those containers actually have a SIM in them to track the logistics, the temperature, the the, um, where it's going to go and where it was actually packed from. So that very microservice type view about what's what's actually happening right. in terms but, of those boxes. And but today you 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 were mentioning before we started around um, you know one of the most uh, common devices that roams onto your network was actually um, containers. These these yeah. containers. Yeah. So is, that's the reality. Is when reality ship, is ships come into now. port yeah. uh, today that uh, they they tend to or you know a percentage of them. Um, right. have got a yeah. SIM card and a, and a gadget in them that uh, somehow, you know, hooks into the network, has enough battery life to uh, just, you know, keep pinging, keep pinging and yeah. can be tracked by GPS and, and whatnot. Yeah. And the third big thing with, with 5G is um, is uh, really sort of high bandwidth for what is going to be richer content, which is going to be delivered, you know. 4K is probably coming ubiquitous. Most people, you know, if they're buying a TV now, it's becoming 4K. 8K is on the horizon um, the demands for um, sort of immersive experiences like those 360-degree experiences you might actually get on, with a VR headset, um, you know, the demands of that bandwidth are, are going to be quite phenomenal. So if you ask a network engineer, can you build me something that's um, ultra-reliable with you know, fast millisecond ping times that can actually connect millions and millions of devices at once uh, and give me really fat bandwidth of, you know, the standards are 20 gigabits per second and um, in a, in a you know, life indoor test which we optimised you know we've got 18.3 gigabits per second um, in, in an outdoor trial we've got 9 gigabits per second on 5G so they're really massive bandwidths um, to, to support that you sort of you, you talk to a network engineer and, and it's probably the three worst things you could tip into the box in terms of the mixing bowl to actually create a new network for um, so you have to think about um, how do you how do you deal with that? Um, and that comes with a range of things. So um, a range of spectrum. Um, so this, you know, 5G early standards have got two ranges of spectrum. So the spectrum, particularly the radio waves in which you carry the information, the signalling and the and the user uh, information. There's the general mobility play that we see, which is known as the C band or the 
pretty about the 3.6 gigahertz range in terms of the spectrum, you know, with with a kind of a range either side of that. And, and what, what of, and what's the situation with with that? What what, well, uh, what where does that where does that fit? What, so uh, that, that's kind of a, a macro deployment, sort of similar to. And, and uh, we did some early drive testing um, using both C band and millimeter wavelength at the beginning of the year, and we saw we saw um, the C band propagation characteristics very similar to what we saw in four G eighteen hundred. Um, so when we first deployed eighteen hundred before. Before um, we got the 700 spectrum, which is we, we got... Um, what you use pre- for 4G LTE today. Yeah, yeah, we use, well, we use 1800 for LTE as well. So mm. we see very similar propagation characteristics with, with um, C-band on as what we saw with 1800. Um, and, and that was very similar to our deployment when we did 4G. We deployed on 1800 because the spectrum had to be freed up from the TV so before they could actually reallocate. Right, and depending depending on um, you know what range is how well it sort of will, will get into buildings and yeah, how far it will go um, and you know that, those sorts it's of very challenges. Similar right? to, the, to the 4G, and and we saw um, and probably with the because C-band gives you bigger blocks, you also see better cell performance. So you actually don't see the same drop off as you used to see in, in 4G. So actually to the edge cell what we call the cell edge performance was really good. Millimeter wavelength um, is um, is in that sort of uh, about the 26 gigahertz, you know, 24 to about 28 gigahertz range, and that's you know really short form, really line of sight type um, capability, and that's where we get the really fast speeds. Um, but that's generally um, more of a kind of a, a, a infill, um, and what we what we call the user plane. So the the information that you pass on it, rather than what we would call the signaling plane, the control plane, um, which actually connects the devices together. Uh, and that's that will m- most likely be deployed in a in a small cell lamp post type solution um, under the umbrella. You've got to get rather. pretty close to people with it, right? Yeah, you, you, generally, you know, street furniture, what we call street furniture. You know, two or three hundred, five hundred um, meters, sort of um, propagation characteristics, um, but but generally small form factor, um, lot cheaper. Not seeing macro cell sites popping out everywhere. You actually just put them on a lamppost, and and you can actually then use that. And you use the macro cell sites to to create the the, the aggregation and the backhaul and right. And so you don't you don't have to have a fibre optic cable necessarily running to some, some run, 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 running, running self, to each one. South back will back to a um, back to a, a common aggregation point. And so five G will be deployed in a hub and spoke type environment where you have a macro and then a common aggregation point. They sometimes call them baseband hotels or cloud based RAN where you basically start to pull a lot of that information and then the fibre actually trombones back to um, back to sort of the, the core centres. Um, the the other key thing around 5G is this concept of actually depending on the service that you want, um, you need to start thinking about where you put the functions of the network. Uh, and this is this concept of network slicing, where you actually start to pair off some of the functions of the network in different parts of the network. So if I use the IoT example, for example, you know what you'd do is you'd actually you don't want all of those SIM cards registering, all of those devices registering at the same time. As you're on, um, you know, your driverless car cruising around the, you know, the harbour or something like that. So you, what you want to do is manage that signalling and that and that central processing in the in a central part of your network. Whereas if you really want content or real low latency demands for um, for either AR, VR, or a lot of the sort of the industry sort of really um, industry IoT devices that actually want, want those real quick response times then what you do is you put the function close to the edge of the network, and so you move to a distributed network. And so network slicing 
will come um, with an evolution. It will start off with being much more of a sort of a functions of your network get separated independently, um, probably in a, in a bit of an appliance-based world, but then in going forward, your, your phones, like your smartphone, you took the Samsung Note, might actually um, demand services independently of the network. So you could have your biometrics being monitored by your smartphone, and that's just an IoT service, whereas you might actually put your phone or your device into your into a headset and you've got VR so it's going to require that low latency so you know in the future of 5G and, and the next sort of uh, round of st- standards is actually have, have that much more dynamic but in the first instance what we'll probably do is actually start to slice off aspects of the function of the network going forward and there's new concepts called front hall and mid hall and back hall uh, and fibre and, and you know we see fibre and uh, the LFCs and chorus being a massive part in terms of providing that infrastructure for us and we see um, the concept of C-band and millimetre wavelength at 3.6 gigahertz and the millimetre wavelength being hand-in-hand in, hand in terms of providing the services to customer. Um, so you, you're going to need to get some, um, some, some extra spectrum, aren't you? Because yeah, so uh, you, you, know, you don't have uh, no, so the, the, those um, doing, areas just yet, yeah, right? The, the um, government's released a consultation paper around spectrum um, and band plans, and I think... Uh, all of us have sort of contributed around that. We, we, we are working very closely, and the government's been really up, um, really good, actually, and upfront with us in terms of understanding what they need to do in around that. I think, you know, following after we work through the, the, the C-band and the minimum wave allocation for rural, we're going to need the things like the lower order bands, like the sub-1 gigahertz bands, and and um, that's something we're also pretty quite keen to, to, to think about going forward. Um, but you know that we also see um, with with the C band that, that rural communities and towns could be served well served by a C band and five G for for um, uh, coverage based on what we're seeing today in terms of some of the results. And so we think we think that five um, G will follow a, a very similar four G overlay where we actually start to overlay based on needs and demands and. Um, and you know we, we are planning you know is, is well underway, and we think a lot of the international operators are actually doing 5G in the basis to support a massive sporting event because it brings all three of those use cases together quite nicely. You think about um, the Olympics and, and South Korea. Uh, you got those really high definition replays with those 360 degree sort of views about when they were doing their freestyle jumps and the skiing and the snowboarding, but they'll also be using it for for transport and crowd control and analytics to actually make sure it's a safe environment and they can actually get people in and around. And plus, people would have been downloading and watching replays on their device on massive broadband. So, you know, America's Cup's probably a really good example of where that could turn up for for us in the future as well. Probably a bit too early for Rugby World Cup, but. Um, um, mm. But certainly, you know, that's an area that I think, you know, if you think about America's Cup, you could think about the telemetrics, you can think about the the um, uh, the bandwidth required and the smart cities required. So, uh, yeah, 5G's, 5G's not just about spectrum and RAN evolution, it's actually the next evolution of how we have to think about networks. And the irony of me, which my other hat on, is shutting down the PSDN, which is a fully distributed network, is to... Um, is to move to building a fully distributed network. So, right, so <laughs> the get, circle of life. Sort get, of comes getting out. rid of the old yeah. uh, you know, yeah. copper uh, network and uh, yeah. all so, the all the elements there with uh, with phone calls and so on to to something that you know many regards is going to be you know much more powerful and yeah. um, um, flexible. So yeah, yeah, and it goes back to that mass consumption, mass mass customization concept. You know, that depending on the service that you want, then you demand the services from your network. The network's going to have to be um, flexible enough to accommodate that, and th- and I think it's probably the, in network land they've talked a lot around software-defined networking and network function virtualization for a long time, 
And I think that customization of services will be the compelling event that actually brings that to the fray, I think. And I think um, that, that's one of the interesting things. Uh, and you'll see a convergence between uh, networks and IT much more, which is going to be an interesting cultural shift. Mm. Mm. Craig, there's probably a whole lot of uh, questions that we could uh, we could pummel Colin with, but uh, we would we would end up uh, keeping everybody uh, listening in for uh, for hours. So um, if there weren't any sort of big pressing questions from from you, oh, I don't have any questions. I think I just make a couple of comments. I think there's yeah. a couple of things. You know, I've been around this industry for a while and been and been part of watching 5G, and I have struggled a little bit with the business case for rolling out a new network when consumers really aren't going to pay for faster speeds because we just expect that. We just expect the network to keep getting faster. We expect everything to get faster yep, and the and price cheaper. to drop below zero. And that's what we as a user... Are going to, uh, we'll be user, paying you for it soon. As a user, <laughs> you know, that's what we want. Um, so there was a couple of things in the paper that were... I think were quite helpful. One was um, Spark talking about being able to roll out the new network within their cap- current capital framework. I mean, that means they've budgeted for it. We're not going to pay extra for it. So that's a that's a positive. And I think that's actually a feature of the network anyway. That as they've built these new four four and a half G networks, elements are going to be reused. And I think that's the way of the future anyway. I think the other thing is um, the. The real things that are going to drive this network are the mass connections, the, the the huge number of IoT devices. So we're not going to really notice that, you know. But what we are going to notice is, or what we won't notice is our bandwidth on our cell phones dropping because there's all these other devices coming on. So I think that's a really positive step forward. And the other one is, as um, Colin mentioned, this whole idea of slicing the network which you know as a user is a little bit hard to get your head around but as long as that means that whatever service I'm buying and whatever service I want to buy is delivered um, at a reasonable price and gives me what I want that's what I want so whether you slice the network or whether you virtualize it or whether you have mass communication and mass connections, I'm not really worried. I just want my my service to work right, and I think that's that will be the measure of success of a 5G network or whatever network the um, MNOs roll out. Is well, I won't notice that my service is being degraded. Yeah, it's good. It's a good point. Well, I hope it all it all does work as flawlessly as that, and uh, that we'll have it in record in record time. Uh, I guess that's uh, that's on you and your your yeah. team, Colin. Um, so in an agile manner, in an agile manner, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe you can turn a little bit of on it of it on for us uh, next week, so we can start playing around. But yeah, <laughs> on that front, you you you've got um, well, we've got the innovation uh, lab being built, an innovation down, lab yeah. that you're sort of setting up yeah. so that you're you know creating this uh, environment where there'll be able to be a chunk of, of yeah, testing. Look, look, and I think the big part of the innovation lab, and, and it, look, it, and it comes with one of the big concepts around Agile is co-creation with your customers. You know, So I think, Craig, your point around use cases is one of the things that telco has been really traditionally difficult to actually visualise themselves. But So with an Agile framework and, and, and a customer-led um, view of the world, the idea of the innovation lab was actually to actually show the technology to then bring customers in to actually then understand, well, what would you use it for? So how do we... How do we understand the, the the uses of our network so we can build it for you? Because you know we're we're 
network providers, we're not necessarily innovators in terms of how, how it will use. So I think the whole concept around that co-creation then makes us actually understand how customers will use it, and then we can understand then how do we actually tailor it, and then how do we actually build a network for, for our customers that, that they think they need to use. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of feel, I think, um, that there's a, a wealth of opportunity in terms of that, but there's probably a wealth of things that we've never, ever thought mm-hmm. about in terms of how to use our network going forward. Um, uh, look, um, when I was at the Two Ends uh, after fives thing, I was talking to a farmer down in Christchurch a, a, a while back, and he says the first thing the farmer does is he gets up in the morning, turns on the 70-inch TV, deploys a drone to do the fence line sort of view, looks at all the biometrics of his sheep or his, his cattle, and you know, wastewater and power consumption and, and, you know, probably checks his rugby score as well and or her rugby score and and, uh, and then decides to put the gumboots on. And so, that, you know, the, the world is changing completely different than I ever thought it would actually do in terms of traditional things. And so if we can get customers into the innovation lab to actually then get us thinking about how we can do the networks, then we can build the network in accordance to how they're going to use it and that's the real purpose of it. So, you know, come on down when it's built. Yeah, to have oh, that, that's great. Well, thank you, uh, Craig, for coming on the, the show again. You've always got lots of uh, expertise and opinions that uh, are great, great to uh, hear, hear a, a slice of. Uh, and and Colin, um, good, good to uh, good to chat. And look, this has been really interesting. I think there there is a lot more we could dive into, so we'll have to find a, another time to uh, to maybe you know dig in a, a bit deeper on uh, on some of these things. And uh, you know, some of, some of the listeners may have to come back. Uh, questions yeah. that, that, that they'd like uh, covered at some point as well. So, awesome. um, thank you. Now, uh, Craig, where do people track you down on online? I'm on Twitter at Two Ends um, I think it's the same on Facebook, and then uh, website is Two Ends T U A N Z dot org dot NZ. Excellent, and uh, and Colin, your yeah, best thing probably through LinkedIn um, yeah. or um, just Colin Brown. Pretty easy name to remember at Spark dot co dot nz, and uh, and uh, just follow you know the Spark um, uh, Twitter pages and Facebook pages, and we do a lot of the announcements in and around that, and um, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's good. Well, thank you very much. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening in. You can track me down uh, online across uh, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, just Paul Spain, so very, very easy to find. Um, and actually, we have a, a post uh, online uh, with uh, Spark's um, 5G uh, paper, or you can Google it, and it'll probably... Uh, It'll it'll come up uh, on the Spark site, but uh, you know, for those that are interested in in getting a, a bit more uh, detail, then uh, what is it? It's um, a few dozen dozen pages yeah, long. It's quite a, a quite a um, quite a good read. It's, for it's actually a good quite a good read. It, it is yeah, a good yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. And look, it was it was a collaboration through a number of us within Spark that actually wrote it in terms of strategy and marketing as well as the technical um, and as well. So it's, and it is, um, it's a, uh, it was intended as an informed paper to, for uh, for the industry analysts, but it's a really good read in terms of, uh, if I do say so myself. Um, um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's good. Good. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week. All right. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.